right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And on today's show, we're going to be joined by Matt Tate at 340, Kevin Flaherty at 440. We got some player audio to share for you from the KU men's basketball team. We got some KU women's basketball audio and uh, another Bowl games of KU football pass coming up later in the show. Uh, starting things off here, some sad news around the world of college football. Mike Leach, the longtime Texas Tech head coach, and uh, eventually became the Washington State head coach, and did some big things there. And then most recently, where he was the active head coach, was with Mississippi State, um, has passed away. Sounds like he had a, a bad heart attack and, and some strokes involved there, just 61 years old, which, I mean, still had, I don't know, he still had a decade uh, of coaching prob- probably left in him. Just really unfortunate news for for one of the, it's not just that he's you know a coach and that we see him in our life and stuff, but one of the, the most notable and at times funny and at times interesting characters in the sporting landscape. Yeah, a lot of people were throwing around the term like one of one today and mm-hmm. and for a guy like Mike Leach that truly is fitting. I mean, he was such a unique guy, had such a great personality and he was really great for the sport and had was known obviously for so many different famous quotes, famous rants of just an all-around fascinating guy, somebody who encapsulated the sport but also I think drew a lot of people in for his non-football related things, right? Like that was kind of what made him Really, that that interesting, iconic guy. So, yeah, really, really terrible news. And uh, I think Mississippi State's still going to play in their bowl game mm-hmm. later on in January. But, uh, yeah, really, really sad news. Do you have a, a favorite, like, Mike Leach story? or qu- I mean, we're going to have Kevin Flaherty on. And, and Kevin never, like, covered specifically Mike Leach. But he used to cover the Texas Longhorns when they were in the same, you know, conference yeah. and, and competing against each other and I guess they've always been the same conference here but uh you know what I mean yeah uh, so we'll get some stories from him but do you have a, a favorite or He's, just something about I him? mean there's so many different sort of iconic moments or rants that he had but uh the one that I always remember is uh from when he was at Washington State and I don't even know what the question was but eventually it came it got onto the subject of if every Pac-12 school's mascot was to have a battle royale basically who would win? And so he just listed <laughs> yeah. off all of the mascots and was like, well, would the Trojan have a bow? Would the Trojan have a sword? Would the Ute have a... And that's just that just speaks to his, his personality and, and the way he thought. Like, he was always thinking outside the box. And obviously, I mean, you could argue Mike Leach is the most transformative mind of college football in the terms of how he completely changed how teams run offense, right? Yeah. I mean, literally every offense at every level of football right now could probably draw some sort of lineage of how it's run back to what he started with at Texas Tech. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Hal Mummy offense, he really kind of 
took it to that next level. Um, and even if it's teams not doing the same thing he's doing in terms of schematically, like um, throwing that much, teams are using his concepts, right? And uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's unfortunate stuff. My, my favorite story personally, I like the one where, this is from like a competition side. I don't know. There's a lot of great stories. And I honestly, this yep. might not be my favorite, but it's the one that's coming to mind right now. So I'm just going to share it. Uh, when he was like an assistant coach at Oklahoma and they were playing Texas in the uh, Red River, whatever it was called at that time. And uh, <laughs> he he left like a basically a play sheet or a game plan type of thing on the Texas sideline in warmups, basically before warmups, that one of the Texas staffers picked it up and was like, wait, is this real? And he ran the first like couple of plays exactly to script. Like it was the scripted first part of the game, right? To make them think like, oh my gosh, this is this is, we have the script. And then he'd like basically it was a setup that he purposely planted it there. And then he did things that would basically, you know, Hey, if if we expect him to do this, this is our defense. And then he's like, "Great, I know your defense. This is what I'm <laughs> going to run against it." Like just kind of crafty things like that. But yeah, it was the it was the the extra stories, the having personality in in the sports world. Yeah. there are the, a lot of people who you know the candy corn rant, the yes. rant about what you do with, with if you're going to get married. Yeah, like all you know, it was it was almost the the rest of that stuff, right? Yeah, the rest of that stuff that really kind of made him more human, made him more of just a guy you just want to hang out with. Right, mm-hmm. and that's all the story. That's pretty much what, from all the different stories that I've read and heard people say. Is that really what it boiled down to? I mean, yeah. this was just a, a guy that you just you just love to talk to. He was just a, a really interesting and a really fun guy. Yeah, and it doesn't make it all infallible, but it was just it was just in in the sports world where we get so many people who are so vanilla and think that the the canned answers and the coach speak is actually like good for the media when it's not that he was different and he provided stuff to talk about. And and I appreciate that. And so rest in peace, Mike Leach. Um, Okay. So kind of weird to move on from that into just like, Hey, let's talk sports, but we're going to do it anyway. Um, Some other takeaways that we didn't necessarily get to yesterday from the Kansas, Missouri game. As great of an offensive output as that was for Kansas. Are you worried at all that we're still not seeing much from the bench? Because if you total it up, the starters, you had 95 points in the game. The starters had 86 of them, and that's, three that's, of those nine bench points were the Jankovic three at the end. So realistically, you got like six, six. real bench points. <laughs> is that worrisome? Yes and no, I guess is kind of my answer. Like, yeah, I guess it's kind of worrisome. I mean, I I think we, we know the solution, though, is the thing. Like, the, I think this conversation is like the solution is one of either Joe Yesifu or... MJ Rice becomes sort of that next scorer off the bench, right? Like, that's the solution. Now, the question is, what's the path to, like, making, getting it, the, those guys to doing that on the court, right? And, I mean, I, again, I think in the case of the Missouri game, like, you were just so dominant and really your starters were playing so well that there wasn't, I mean, there wasn't really any reason to be concerned. Like, it's not like you're looking up the scoreboard and KU's up 85 to 50 and you're like, well, Joe Yesfu only has two points. Oh, oh no, what are we doing? Like, we're so, you know what I mean? So, I I don't know. But also, I I got to think about this too. Like, we operate under the assumption, because it happens every year, that Bill Self, towards the end of the year, once you get into February and March and crunch time, he tends to shorten his bench, right? Well, what's to say that we just don't reach that point in time where he shortens his bench in, like, January, (laughs) right? Where 
we already know what that's going to look like. I mean, normally it, normally we have a pretty good idea already, but it doesn't really get there until towards the end of the season. But, I mean, it could just get there right now. I mean, we could just have it narrowed down to seven or eight guys by, like I said, by the, the first couple weeks of conference play. So it, it's not overly concerning, I don't think, right now for KU. Uh, but I think unless you start to get more from MJ Rice and or Joe Yesifu, the the concern level will probably start to increase a little bit as you get closer to the tournament. But again, I don't even. I mean, is it really that big of a deal if your starters are scoring all your points? I mean, like unless you get into foul trouble, I guess. Yeah, no, I I think you're right from the standpoint of like teams who have shorter benches tend to actually be the ones who go further in the NCAA tournament. Like, of course, there's teams like you know your your Kentucky team from 2014 that was like platoon squatting and if they're just that much better than everyone it doesn't matter but that actually hasn't like having depth it's not a negative like there have been teams that thrive off that like that Kentucky team or like Florida State has done it in the past but for the most part you don't need it it's not it's not a prerequisite to exactly. make it a, I mean, a deep you basically run. only need eight seven or eight guys yeah. generally and so i guess like it's not a huge deal long term where it could become a bit of an issue is that, you know, what happens if somebody does have an injury or misses? Like last year, for instance, you had the the game that Ochagbaji missed with COVID, right? Yeah. Joey Esifu came in and stepped up. Or you had the injury to Remy Martin, that he was out for a period of time. And Joey Esifu wasn't what Remy Martin was when he was back, but he did enough for you to kind of keep the bench afloat, right? And be that first guard off the bench. If that happens with this team, do you trust anyone on the bench to be like, oh, we have to fill in for Grady Dick tonight? Oh, yeah. No, if, if something happens with Grady or Jalen Wilson, like, it's it's not going to be good. <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's, those, aren't, those aren't guys that you can fill the shoes of, even mm-hmm. come close to. So, yeah, I think from an injury standpoint, that's a concern. But that's a later problem. We're fine now, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, I think it's different, I think your too. biggest concern right now is foul trouble. Like, if Jalen, for instance, if Jalen gets, like, four fouls pretty quickly in a game, like, you're kind of screwed. Unless unless KJ is able to do what he did against Missouri again, which I don't know how replicable that is. No. I, I do wonder, though, because we did kind of see this last year, too. Like, for the Missouri game last year, which was also a blowout, it was basically just, like, a seven-man rotation. And that... That bench, that rotation really didn't truly expand till you had the the Remy Martin injury where maybe you were given a guy or two a little more time to see who would take that that spot down. But once Remy came back, once we got to, to March, it was, yeah, just kind of seven guys with Remy the guard off the bench and Mitch was the big man off the bench. And occasionally you might throw Jalen Coleman lands in there or Joe Yasufu to give you something else or fresh legs or a different look or somebody who can come in and maybe hit a shot or pressure the ball depending on the players. But for the most part, it was those seven guys. And... I think this year it's become pretty apparent you'd have the five starters, but I don't even know if they figured out who the sixth and seventh guy would be for this year because well, of those I bench struggles. The sixth, the sixth guy is Bobby Pettiford. I would think so, healthy. but Joe played more than Bobby against Missouri. That now that I don't, could just be. I don't think first that, game back from an injury. Yeah, I don't think that matters. Remember, if you remember right, Derek, I'm telling you, as long as Bobby Pettiford is healthy, he's going to play 20 minutes a game, whether you like it, whether I like it, whether anybody <laughs> likes it. That's just it's just what's going to happen. Okay, so I just I hate to break it to you. That's just what's going to happen, right? So he's the sixth guy. There's no question about it. And then the seventh guy, you would think, is either Joe or MJ Rice. And then your eighth guy, I guess, would be 
maybe Cam Martin, maybe Ernest, whoever. What? Just pick a big man, basically. <laughs> That's your eighth guy, essentially. I guess, but like I, I, I do feel like it is at least open enough there with Yesifu the way that he's. But if Bobby played. can't, if Bobby can't stay healthy, then that will mess things up. Yeah. Um, and then you still don't know who the center is, who would be that first center off the bench. And then, yeah, what is the role for MJ Rice? So I, it, there are still some questions. It, there's a lot of questions. And also you have the other added fact where as much as benches of the past have been about just providing maybe an extra spark or different punch or dealing with foul trouble or injuries, this year's team is a little different in that the bench provides the bench a lot of the guys who have... The bench just doesn't have to screw it up. Well, yeah, but I, but a lot of the players who just happen to be on the bench, this is less about like the bench as a whole, more about the individuals who happen to be coming off the bench. Okay, on this year's team, yep, are guys who have high ceilings, right? In the case For of like, the Ernest Duday, yes. MJ Rice, Zuby Edgefer, possibly, um, yes. I don't know, I guess Zach Clements. You you think they could develop? Correct, maybe even Bobby Pettiford. In that, yeah, if if all hits with those players. They could not just be an impactful bench player; they could be an impactful starter down the road. You know what I mean? So that makes this bench a lot different because it's not just about who's providing the most right now and who's going to even win those spots. It's can you show something for potentially being like a future pivotal or star player down the road? And right now, so when we have you not say seen future, of that. are you talking like next year? Yeah. Okay. Or possibly even like maybe one guy breaks out in February or the beginning of March. Yeah. Which I think MJ Rice would be the guy you would want that to be. You would think. Or maybe, maybe Joe. Today. Maybe Ernest. Yeah, I guess it's possible. But that's my point. We, we, we You can do that with every player. No, no, I, like, no I understand. Well, we have, listen, we talked about it. I mean, I think to this point in the season, certainly in, in the discussion of the big men with, like, Zuby and Ernest, I think to this point in the season, we didn't expect them to be, like, critical players, but I think we expected to at least have seen something from them, and that really kind of hasn't even been the case, right? We haven't even really seen anything, like, from them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we didn't expect them to be great, but we were expecting them to show something that would lead you to believe, okay, they have a chance. But they, we haven't even really seen that part fully yet. So I guess from that standpoint, you're like, it's like you're behind schedule. Yeah. Almost with those guys. Well, and with, with the centers, they're just, I don't know, we we haven't seen enough for to, to really track one guy down. Um, with MJ yeah. Rice, I I have a sneaking suspicion he is not a good practice player. Because you see him you think, have you think he, games. You think he sucks in practice? Well, you see him have games where he goes for, you know, 15, 20 points, looks like one of the most athletic guys on the floor, looks like somebody who could really help this team, and then the next game he might not play at all. Or like the Missouri game, which was a blowout where you very much could have got him more time. He only played four minutes. And this is not me saying, oh, what is Bill Self doing? No, I trust Bill Self. And so if he's not playing much, yeah, no, I'm, I'm apprehensive, what does that indicate to you? I'm apprehensive about drawing any real conclusions because earlier on we were like, well, why isn't MJ Rice playing? The guy had kidney stones. Oh, and COVID at the same time. And also a back sprain or back whatever it was, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, so I don't even know. I don't even, I'm apprehensive to, to make any grand statements about, about MJ Rice at this point because it, it sounds like, and we've even heard from Bill Self, you know, there was a time period where he only got to practice like twice in three weeks. So even, so maybe even if he is a bad practice player, it's maybe it's because he hasn't even gotten to practice. That's fair. So I don't know. Oh, I mean that's fair. That, that, no, that I, no, yeah. yeah. So I don't um, know. I don't know. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. That's just not really coming together as as much as you might hope. At least no. so far. Still the, playing. Hey, the time. Cam Martin experience we got to see. Yeah, 
Well, by the way, whenever we talk about this, like there is still plenty of time for these guys to make inroads. But also, while there is still plenty of time, we're also what two weeks away from Big Twelve play, and that's when things get real. Right? We're seven. We're eighteen. We're eighteen days from Big Twelve play. Yeah, Cam Martin did play. Which did you? Okay, I, I don't know what to think of this. He came okay. in before Zach Clements and Zuby Edgefer against he Missouri. He was the technically the third big in the game because KJ started. Ernest was the first big off the bench. Ernest was the only big off the bench in the first half. And then the second half, um, I don't even remember if Uday, if Uday came on before Cam in the second half or if he played in the second half at all. Nonetheless, do you view Cam coming in before Clements and Zuby as a sign that he's ahead of those guys? Or do you view it as, hey, we just happen to be up by so much. Let's get this guy who hasn't played in there. Yeah, I don't think he, I don't really view it as him being ahead of them. I mean, I mean, honestly, like they're all, those guys are all so close in my eyes. Like the order in which they come into the game, like almost doesn't even really matter. Does that make sense? Yeah. And like with Cam, obviously coming off an injury, like, yeah, why not go ahead and get him out there? But at the same time, he looked very uncomfortable. He did not look really settled at all. Which, you know, it's it's his first game ever. Now, he's he's a quote-unquote veteran player from the standpoint of age and having played at least at, at the D2 level, not at D1. Mm-hmm. So this was his first D1 game on the road against a big rival. You know, maybe he was a little nervous. I don't know. So he definitely did not play enough for me to be like, I'm sold. Cam Newton or Cam Martin. Mm. Cam Newton. Cam Martin is going to be the best player of all time. Or like, oh no, this guy needs to be buried on the bench. I agree. You need to see more. Um, just shaking the rust off. And I, I do agree too that that was the case. That it was just. Could this KU team use Cam Newton? What would he play? So he's like what six five? He's like six five two. Have to be like a guard. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Type. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, no, they could not use Cam Newton. You don't Cam think so? Newton. No. Wasn't he a good basketball player, too? I don't know. No. I don't think so. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I don't know. Because there were games like, like think about the battle for Atlantis, for instance. I want to say Zach Clements was like, I mean, he was your main big man off the bench against Wisconsin. And then he doesn't even play against Tennessee. You know what I mean? And then like. Sure. Well, that's because he can't, he can't hit the broad no, side I of the ball. I know, but I'm just saying like, it has not been. Like, it has what, not been a signaling of this is the first big off the bench, that's the guy. It's been different every game. Like what Zach Clements did briefly in some of those games, I could do. Put me out there. I'll throw up a 30-foot thirty three-point shot and maybe hit the backboard. I can do that. Well, I could have taken the shot that allowed Bobby Pettiford to win the game. But would you have missed it as perfectly as Clements did? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe not. This is crazy, though. This is what all the other centers besides KJ totaled up. I mean, it's... It, None of the guys gained any footing. Two minutes from Cam Martin, three minutes from Ernest Uday, two minutes from Zuby, three minutes from Clements. You total it up. The four centers besides KJ, 11 minutes, zero points, 0 for 2 shooting, three rebounds, one assist, zero steals, zero blocks. I mean, we can we can argue ad nauseum about this and who would be the guy or who is ahead of who or if they're the same together, but the point is none of them are sticking out. No. No. None of them are, are doing anything that's making you go, okay, yeah, this guy. And and you know what? The one beauty of having – not the one. I mean, there's many. But one of the, the best things about having KJ at the five, because he is not a traditional center who gets tired as fast, he's more of a wing. You can get away with playing KJ 30 minutes in a game just from like a him not deteriorating or getting tired That's as opposed true. to like 
No, you definitely couldn't a play big like man who's huffing and puffing yeah, no. after playing twenty two minutes. You definitely couldn't play Doke thirty minutes. No, right. <laughs> With so at least having KJ at the five does allow you to play the other centers if they're not doing well enough less minutes. I guess that's a positive. Anyway. Okay. Uh yeah. Need more from the bench. That's the uh, conclusion. Yes. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're gonna be joined by Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World in about fifteen minutes from right now. We'll be back after this timeout. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're uh, going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports coming up in about an hour from right now. We've got a uh, conversation on the MVP race in the NFL with Patrick Mahomes coming up at the 4 o'clock hour as we continue on with our series of Bowls of KU Football Past with the 1973 Liberty Bowl. Coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Then we got some uh, KU audio to get to you in the 5 o'clock hour. But right now, we are joined by one Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Matt, thanks for joining us today. The last three results for Kansas have been all blowout victories, including the most recent stomping of Missouri in Columbia. Does it feel like they're hitting their stride and, and everything's kind of coming together here? Or does this just feel like it's a dip in the schedule? Oh man, that's a pretty good question. I don't, I don't know if it's either, to be honest. Um, I, you know, if you if you look at those teams on paper, especially Seton um, Hall was, I think, top fifty, and Missouri, for all their flaws, was what top sixty-five or something. Um, so, th- are they as good as they were uh, advertised? Probably not. But they're not like, you know, two hundred and thirtieth either. They're not the teams that Missouri was playing. So, I think that they're you know, power five type opponents, respectable opponents that Kansas is just far better than right now. Um, but I don't think it's, uh, I also don't think it's, it's, it's time to say KU's put it all together or, or is even, you know, really getting it together. There's still questions about their defense. There's still questions about their rotation. Um, and, and then there's still a lot of young guys doing, uh, doing things that, um, we need to see if that can, if that can last over, over a 30 game season rather than just nine or 10 games. So, um, not to completely shoot you down and ruin your life. I hope I didn't, but, um, (laughs) I I don't know that it's either one of those. I think it's, if anything, I think it's just a sign of progress. You know, there's, there's no doubt about that. I mean, um, and, and, you know, Derek, I also think that it's, Sort of the, the the reason you're asking the question, or maybe the reason people are are wondering that, or talking about it, or thinking that is is also because you're talking about coming off of that loss to Tennessee, where it looked like, oh God, they look terrible. Um, so so it's a natural thing to kind of then bounce back from that and think, oh, they figured it out. Maybe maybe not, but I think the Tennessee thing is probably something you can throw out. Number one, that's a really good team. Um, Tennessee is, and, and number two, it was the third game in three days. Uh, dead legs, all of that stuff. So I, I think if you're going to point to any of that as sort of the the fluke or or sort of an anomaly, it would maybe be the Tennessee performance um, rather than saying that these last few performances are who this team is. But but you know we've seen in the past that that it, if you can put a streak together like this and and play this type of basketball for a prolonged period, then all of a sudden your confidence gets up there and, and all of a sudden that is who you become. So th- there's no doubt that they, uh, they've got to be feeling pretty good about how it's gone the last few games, but, but they're still work in progress. There's no doubt about it. What would you say 
that you learned most then about the Missouri game, or is it just one small piece of the puzzle? Uh, well, definitely the road thing is is obviously a big part of it, right? Um, that was a that was an awesome, awesome environment, and you know I get it that Kansas fans don't want to give Missouri any credit, and and vice versa. Um, but you know you've had a bunch of Missouri people who've come over to Allen Fieldhouse before seen their team get their butts kicked and then gone, boy, that was pretty cool um, because it's down Fieldhouse. And, and that's how I kind of felt about, about Saturday night in Columbia. I mean, um, the place was on fire and the fans brought their, their A game. Um, they, were, they were ready to do their part as the sixth man to try to, to try to take down Kansas in their return for the first time in almost a decade. And uh, Unfortunately, they performed better than the, the players on the floor, or else it might have been a closer game. But, um, but yeah, either way, it was still, it was still a, a, an environment that KU has not played in. Now, as you heard DeWan say after the game, and Jalen has said before too, um, you know those those guys have been in big games, bigger stages than that for sure. But this team, as 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 a whole, hasn't had that yet, and so for those guys to show up and see the crowd there for them to do their shoot around well over an hour before the game starts and to see the student section full with all the signs and hostility and all the chanting and all that. I mean, you know, that can mess with you. That can get in your head. That can, that can make those butterflies turn into, you know, dragons in your stomach instead of just little butterflies. So, you know, for those guys to experience that, get a taste of it, you know, and they've all had a taste of it to some degree, whether it's AAU or, or high school or whatever it is, you know, they, they've all played in games that had a big game feel, but um, that was different. And for them to respond the way they did, uh, there's no doubt that that's going to help them um, when they go play at Baylor or at K-State or, or wherever the other tough environments are um, this season. And, uh, you know, they, they can now look back at this and, and lean on this and say, well, we handled that. Let's go do it again. So that that was the, probably the biggest thing that came out of it. But um, you know, obviously they played really good basketball too. And and uh, if you could bottle that up and play more like that, you would. Um, but you're not playing Missouri every week either. Well, going back to kind of the first question with you know it not necessarily being this team hitting their stride or whatnot. And, and you mentioned a couple things that they can still get better at. Obviously, there are going to be weaknesses for every team in the country. Like Everybody's going to have something that, that is a fault for them. As far as something that you think could be a bit of a fault right now for Kansas that they can improve on or that, that won't be a weakness by the time we get to March, what would you pinpoint? Something that I don't know is going to go their way? Is that, is that no, kind of what you're talking about? Or, something or? that is a weakness right now that you don't think will be by the time we get to the uh, oh, end of the season. Oh, I see. The opposite. Okay. Um, boy, that's a, that's a really good question. I, you know, obviously the, the, the biggest thing is, is the five spot. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. And I mean, I, I kind of lean toward that because I kind of think that KJ is going to just figure it out and, and that they're going to figure it out with, with how to play with a six, seven strong as heck, tough as heck, physical as heck kind of five guy um you know he's gonna he's gonna always be giving up size in terms of standing height and just you know playing around the rim and protecting the rim and all that stuff but 
man, the other things he gives you are so good. And and it's easy to say that now because he just had a career game against Missouri and looked great largely because of their game plan against Missouri's defense. But I, I think it was showing well before that. And I think that week after week after week it's continued to show. And, and I think that while they sit here and still wait for Ernest or Zuby or Cam or Zach or whoever to maybe emerge – they're going to find out that, hey, maybe they're just not going to. So here's our options. We can keep waiting on those guys and, and, and be disappointed when they can only give us four or five minutes and, and not play up to where we want them to. Or we can just scrap it, use them as total insurance, maybe match up moments throughout games, and, and then really commit to KJ and just figure out how, how we're going to play with that as our five. And I think that's what they're leaning toward. I think that's what they've shown in the last few weeks. And I think he's responded really well. So um, for my money, that's probably the answer. You know, I, I think you can spend a lot of time wishing and hoping and dreaming of, well, the ideal five would look like this, or, you know, if only this guy could become this, or, or if he shows up. But you spend a lot of time waiting and wishing for that kind of stuff, and a lot of times it doesn't come true. So you might as well take the guy who's a, who's a freaking horse, um, who's, who's playing at a high level, who's, who gives you all the intangible things you want, and then figure out how to, how to make that work with the guys around him and with the way you play and your game plan and all that. And, and that's what they're doing. So I think the five is perceived as a weakness right now, but I don't think it will be. I think KJ's going to uh, really show that he can, you know, I don't want to say revolutionize the position or anything like that, but in, in terms of Kansas standards and the way Kansas is typically played at that spot, it would revolutionize their approach to that position. And, and I think it's great. I, I don't know if you read in my story or video that I posted, but talking to Jalen after that Missouri win, it was short, but he gave one of the greatest quotes uh, talking about KJ. He said, you know, he, he's physical. He's the strongest guy on the floor. He goes, strongest guy on the floor with the best vertical on the floor. That's a bad combination, and I'm glad we've got it on our side. So that tells you all you need to know. These guys believe he can get it done down there, regardless of if he's given up four or five inches to maybe the other team's center. Bill Self, we've seen, likes to shorten his rotation by the time he gets to March tournament time, down to seven or eight guys. Do you feel like with the way the bench has performed or, I guess, underperformed so far this season, we might see him shorten that rotation even earlier? Like maybe you only see seven, eight guys even in January just because you've got some guys on that bench that really have not shown up so far this season. Yeah, I do. Uh, number one, I think I think he's shown over and over and over. Uh, and you're right, you're, you know, that, that's, that's definitely a thing that, that he's kind of the book on him is he'll do that when it gets to March or, or late in the season. But um, the other thing that is the book on him is that he wins and he likes to win and he'll do whatever to win. And if that means he plays five guys or six guys or 10 guys, you know, he, he's going to, he's going to do whichever one of those he thinks will win. And so I think that could be, you know, the reasoning behind what happens this season. I mean, um, it's going to be really hard. You, you know, there was, there was a lot of talk and, and probably too much. And I, I wrote a blog kind of setting, trying to set some reasonable expectations for the return of Cam Martin, because I think people got a little excited that he was back and he was going to be available for Missouri. Um, I definitely thought there was a chance he might not play, even though he was available. Uh, as it turned out, he barely played, and that was a 30-point game. You know, so um, it, 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 it's it's one of those things where you 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 know you have guys that you could play and guys that that could be 
a part of your rotation, but man, it's about trust. And so if they're not ready, they're not ready. And that's not a knock on anybody, but you know, he, he's again, he's going to play the guys that win. And, and there's a lot of these guys that just, I don't know that they're ready for, for the grind of, of big 12 season and, and uh, those hostile road environments. And, and uh, at the same time, you've, you've got to have the depth. You got to have the depth for foul problems. You got to have the depth for fatigue. Um, there's a lot of things there that you have to take care of and you can't just hope you can survive playing six guys all season. Um, teams have tried it. He's tried it. It's worked. It hasn't worked, you know, so it's a, it's a, it's a fine line. And, and so I, I think they'll continue to try to develop some of those guys, but um, it, it's really hard to see it. So I think, you know, I think you're right on the money. I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if it's seven or eight guys throughout big 12 play. And uh, the, you know, we know the starting five, it looks obviously like like Bobby and Ernest are the first two off the bench. Um, so that's six, seven, and then and then MJ would make eight, and Joe could be eight too if MJ doesn't, you know, fully click. So um, after that, I, I don't know how much the rest of that group plays, and and uh, gosh, you know it. We've seen a lot of years, right? You think about the the Frank Mason years. You think about Devontae Graham. You think about um, even last year with with Ochai and and all that whole team. I mean, he's not afraid to play guys thirty eight, thirty nine, forty minutes. Um, and and for the most part, I don't know necessarily think that's a problem. I mean, these guys they want to play thirty eight, thirty nine, forty minutes too. Playing is the most fun. Practice sucks. Playing the game's fun, and you don't want to come out. Obviously, if you're winded and you're tired, yeah, you'll take the, the breather. But usually these guys are in such good shape that even a minute or two can, can get them where they need to go. So it, it's going to be really interesting to see because um, we haven't seen a whole lot from from those reserves to, to make any of us think that, okay, those guys are coming. Here they come. You know, they're, they're there. They're, they're, they're options. But I just don't know that any of them have shown that there should be a whole lot of faith in what they can become in the next few months. But you know they they'll keep at it they're, they they need them and they'd like them to come that's just it's just hard to know if they're going to get there which ranking is more perplexing the KU men's team dropping two spots after crushing Missouri or the KU women's team only being ranked 22nd two spots behind Arizona who they just beat by 27 yeah, I, you know, I don't. I, I think the dropping after a win is is crazy. I, I get it, and I think you guys have probably talked about it, and and you guys get it too. I'm sure. I mean, it is. Lo- there's logic behind it. It's sort of a logjam situation where it just uh, it just made for too many teams that deserve to be ranked in that four, five, six spot. It's almost like there's three spots at four, five, and six. And you have about eight teams that should be fourth, fifth, or sixth. So at some point, you can't put them all there. And and you know that's speaking as a as a as a poll voter. I mean, I had a had a hard time figuring it out myself. Um, not necessarily where to put Kansas, but how to how to jostle that entire top ten. Um, and uh, it, it's been hard, man. This is my first year doing it. Uh, you know, usually Jesse Newell had the had the uh, Kansas vote for for the AP poll and. Uh, He's obviously doing the Chiefs now, so um, they probably could have left it with him. He did a good job with it, and he outraged people and, and enraged people and 
infuriated people and it's a lot more fun watching him do it than me doing it but um, <laughs> it, it, it's definitely been been fun to, to try to tackle and and uh you know we don't need to get into my philosophies and and reasoning and all that stuff i i just generally look at you know good wins and, and good schedules and and uh and i also look at teams that i think are good you know i i, I dropped creighton out this week um and i and i didn't want to but They've lost now five in a row, I think, and at some point that has to be punished, quote unquote. Um, but at the end of the day, I still think Creighton's a really good basketball team, and and I don't know that I would put them in the top ten, but you know, top twenty. Um, so so anyway, that makes it hard. But but yeah, I think I think that's the, the there's some reasoning behind why KU dropped, but it's rare. I mean, you can't remember seeing this, can you? I mean, really, with any team, certainly not with Kansas, but. I don't think this happens very often um, with with very many teams. It just it just was pretty wild to see that happen. And and then the women, you know, like um, they deserve to be ranked. They are probably um, where they should be. I get your 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 thought process on putting them ahead of Arizona, and that would make a lot of sense. But when you haven't been ranked in thirty nine hundred days, um, I don't know that you you are real picky about where you are. If you if you can break into the top 25, much like the KU football team did this year for the first time in a heck of a long time, uh, you just take it and say thanks and, and just try to keep going. So um, a really cool time, man. It, re- it really is. The women's team is is uh, really good and, and really fun to watch. And, and I, I hope as the season goes on, more people check that out and, and, and believe that because uh, I, I think you show up to a game and, and you'll love them. And uh, I don't think you'll be sorry, and, and I don't think it'll be your only game. I think you'll go back. They're, they're a lot of fun, and they're, they're a, legit, a legit team that, that could make some noise in the Big 12 and, and do, do things bigger than that even. So um, it'll be fun to watch that. It's, it's pretty wild to think about them doing what they're doing on the heels of the football team doing what they've been doing this year because those two teams were very similar at the opposite end of the spectrum for a long time. I mean, bottom of the conference, automatically picked there, no hope, couldn't get out of there, couldn't get out of their own way, no success, no building. And and yet here they are in the same freaking calendar year. They both turn it around, and, and they're both really good stories. So um, pretty cool to watch that. And then you throw, obviously, what, what men's basketball does consistently on top of that. And, and then the volleyball team. And, I mean, it's it's a pretty good time to be a Kansas person right now. The, the fan base has to be really excited, and uh, the administration has to be even more excited. Well, he is Matt Tate, and always exciting to read his stuff in the LJ world and at KUSports.com. Matt, appreciate the time as always, man. Yes, sir. Thanks, Derek. Appreciate you guys. Have a good rest of the week. All right. You too. That's Matt Tate. Again, check out all his work, KUSports.com, LJ world. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Coming up later this hour... We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports to talk uh, a little more college basketball, KU hoops, and we'll get some uh, story time with Kevin Flaherty and and see his uh, favorite Mike Leach story later in the show. If you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, Venue 1235 has you covered. Located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. Uh, 
some of the betting odds for who's going to win the NFL MVP has shifted. Patrick Mahomes was the favorite for the past couple of weeks. Shocking. But after a three-interception performance, and after Jalen Hurts going off, Jalen Hurts is now the betting favorite. Now, it's very close. Okay. Jalen Hurts is like slightly, you know, minus odds, and Mahomes is like plus 150. So it's it's not something that— it's pretty, oh, close. It's know, pretty close. Exactly. Like it could shift again this weekend. Yeah. Third on the list is Joe Burrow. You got to go all the way down to 7-1 to one odds. I guess we'll start here. Okay. Do you think anybody besides Jalen Hurts or Patrick Mahomes can win MVP? I think Joe Burrow has a path. The Bengals have a pretty tough final four-game stretch, and if they just absolutely steamroll, Joe Burrow throws for 300 yards a game, four touchdowns a game, they finish 13-4, and four, that might be good enough to get them a one-seed potentially, then I think that's the path for Joe Burrow, for sure. Well, and I think especially, like, the big one is they play the Bills in that, I think it's their second-to-last game. Yeah, they've got so, the Bills, they've got the Patriots, they've got um, Baltimore. Well, and, specifically those last, because I, I do think the Bills is the second-to-last. I could be wrong yeah, there. no, it's Bills okay. and then Baltimore. So I think it's the it's last, the last two. two. So yeah. that is such a, because I would imagine, I could see the Ravens game being the, the, the Sunday night game, right? Yes. Because it's for the division. Yes. And that'll be national TV, and a lot of people will be watching that. And then the Bills game will obviously be like, you know, the most watched game that specific week Probably, because yeah. uh, that's going to be two of the top five teams in the NFL. And yes, if well, that's you... going to be two of the top five teams in the NFL. <laughs> you disagree? No. Okay. I'm just, I just didn't like that you said that. Um, well, I, the Chiefs can't be all five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think they can. Well, so Joe Burrow has the opportunity in front of him that he can do it. So yes, I would Absolutely, not discount 100%. him. Yeah, no. He, uh, he could if he goes off, yeah. It is quite a big drop from there though. You got to go to Josh Allen at 20 to 1. Would you still give him a shot? I feel like 20 to 1 is a little low there. Yeah, I think he I mean he's probably on the same boat as 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 Joe Burrow where if the Bills just absolutely annihilate their last four opponents and Josh Allen just goes nuts. Like, if he goes crazy the last four games and the Bills win the last four games, that secures them number one overall seed in the AFC. Like, that's got to put him right there. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then all of a sudden after that, you have to go all the way to 50-1 to to Tua, and then it's like 100-1 to with, like, Justin Jefferson and Justin Herbert. Yeah, I agree. Justin Jefferson's got no chance. So pretty much it's Josh Allen. Justin Herbert sucks, according to Derek Johnson. (laughs) He was really good against the Dolphins, I'm just saying. Um (laughs) Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, yeah, kind of same in that regard. Now, I honestly wouldn't mind sprinkling a little on Josh Allen at 21 for that, yeah, that reason. Is, that is pretty tempting. Seems pretty low. That is pretty tempting. But I think for the most part, barring one of those guys going 4-0 and doing what you said where you're throwing for 300 yards every game, which is very possible because both guys are very yeah. good. Oh, yeah. Um, it's probably going to be Jalen Hurts or, or Patrick Holmes, which is reflective in the betting odds right now. And if you compare the two numbers, here we'll go through them all the way. Okay. Jalen Hurts is twelve and one, which you can say it's it's not just about the quarterback, but that does play into it what matters. people vote on. Yeah, it matters. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is ten and three, so you give that little check mark to Jalen Hurts. Hurts has a uh, higher completion percentage. I don't know if that's really something that you know you care about that much. Nah, sixty eight percent to sixty six percent. Like, are you really going to be splitting hairs over that? Um. Passing yards. Mahomes has 4,160 passing yards. Hurts has 3,157. Mahomes is leading the NFL. That is almost, uh, in fact, it is a little over 1,000 more passing yards. That matters. That does matter, yeah. 
He has 11 more passing touchdowns, 33 for Mahomes, 22 for Hurts. That matters. Yep. Interceptions, though. Hurts has eight less. After the three throw, Mahomes threw as many interceptions against the Broncos as Hurts has all season. Yeah, and Mahomes is, he's had some more questionable throws this year than probably in his entire career. Well, that's my question because Mahomes probably going to end up with 15, 16 interceptions this season. You think so? I mean, he's at 11 right now. It's not that, right? 14, I mean, 15? Wouldn't that I, be the pace there? I doubt he's going to throw that many. That's just, it's weird to think of like the MVP like, I would not say, many picks. Like, okay, he's got 11 right now. He's got four games left. Mm-hmm. So if, if he gets to 15, you're saying, you know, one per game. Yeah. I would, I would go, I would say under on that. So I would say maybe 14. Well, I, I would imagine this next game, he's going to super tighten it in after throwing three picks. So it'll probably be like a four touchdown, zero pick game. Um, <laughs> well, especially because you're playing the Texans too, right? Yeah. But with Hurts, it's also trying to figure out like why is there way less interceptions? Well, it's because you're running a lot more and you don't take as many risks necessarily throwing the football. But he's yeah. still been really good, and that does matter. Yards per attempt is actually the same. Air yards per attempt is actually more for Jalen Hurts. But if you go to QBR, which I, I really do like QBR, it's the ESPN metric scale of, of 0 to 100, grading a quarterback, and it takes into account you know the down and distance, the, the score of the game. So, for instance, if it's third down and 12, and you complete a seven-yard pass, by like normal rating, the the regular passer rating, it'd be like, oh, you went one for one for seven yards. Like, that's a solid play. You get positive grading there. In QBR, that's like, no. You completed a seven-yard pass on third and 12. That did not help your team win the game, which is how it should be. So, by that number, Mahomes is a 77.9. That total QBR leads the NFL. Hertz is a 70.4. So, you got a sizable jump for Mahomes there. Both quarterbacks have two game-winning drives. Mahomes has two fourth-quarter comebacks. Hurts has one, but also the Eagles the have been Colts, so dominant. Right? Wasn't that against the Colts? Was it? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, because they were down sixteen to ten. They had to score. Oh, so there's a check mark for Hurts. Came back against the Colts. Mahomes oh did my not. god, dude! <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, although it is factual, Hurts uh, <laughs> was 686 rushing yards. Mahomes has 280, and Hurts also has 10 rushing touchdowns. Mahomes has two. So these are actually pretty close together numbers. Now, if you add together the total yards and total touchdowns, it would be Hertz with thirty eight hundred forty three total yards and ten or, or thirty two total touchdowns. Mahomes would have forty four hundred and forty total yards and thirty five total touchdowns. So you're looking at about six hundred more yards for Mahomes total, three more total touchdowns, also more turnovers for Mahomes, better record for Jalen Hurts. Seems very close together, and that is reflective in the betting odds. But I guess my my case would just be here, like, it just seems like Patrick Mahomes has to do a lot more for the team to be elite than Jalen Hurts does. Well, here's what I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to suggest to you: Has Patrick Mahomes already reached the level of prime LeBron, where he is universally recognized by literally everyone as the best player in the league? But because he's the best player in the league. They can't. He can't win the MVP every year, right? Is 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 Mahomes in that level already? Yes, where I think so. literally every single person that watches football says yes, this guy's the best player. Mm-hmm. But he can't win the MVP every year because there's no fun in that. Yeah. So instead, we're going to give it to some guys that overachieve. Yes, I do think we've hit that, and and it's unfortunate we kind of get to that in in the sporting world. Um, it's a little because like, does anybody really think? Jalen Hurts is better than Patrick Mahomes. 
No, that's the thing. Everybody is taking Patrick Mahomes. Now, there is a little bit of, like in the NBA, when LeBron was having those great seasons, like he was just having the same season over and over again of greatness, and they got bored with it. Well, there is a little bit of nuance to the NFL where, yeah, like Patrick Mahomes might have a season where he only has 30 touchdowns to 14 interceptions, and here comes Aaron Rodgers with 40 touchdowns You really touchdowns think Mahomes picks, is going right? to have a season where he throws 30 touchdowns and 14 interceptions? Didn't he kind of do that last year? I don't know, honestly. I don't I don't think so. I thought he did. Um something like that at least. Let's see. Are you making stuff up? Uh last season, nah, I undersold it a little. Thirty seven touchdowns, thirteen interceptions. But then like you compare that to, you know, Rogers thrown for forty and three. There are certain years where where you do have to take into account well, what did you accomplish over the season? But I guess, yeah, like if you're just looking at the better player and the value of what they bring, like if you take Jalen Hurts off the offense, for instance, and you just give them an average quarterback for the Eagles, yeah, they're they're clearly a lot so you worse. Give like Jalen's been really good. So I don't want to give take the that away. Eagles Derek Carr. Sure, perfect. how many games are they winning? Right, because they still have a. I mean, they might have the best offensive line Sanders in football. Miles is right? finally healthy for a whole yeah. season, and he's great. Good running game. I mean, AJ Brown for like 250 last week, which a lot of that was Jalen Hurts, but Sanders yep. had like 150. Yeah, AJ Brown is a top 10 receiver. Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith is top. I mean, for a lot of teams, Devontae Smith would be their number one. Dallas right? Goddard was a top four, top five tight end before he got hurt. Yeah. And then defensively, it's a top 10 defense. Got one of the top D lines in the league, yeah. probably. Maybe top five defense. I mean, Pretty solid everywhere else. Now, you do this for Patrick Mahomes, and it's like, I'm, I'm not saying that, oh, Mahomes' weapons are way worse than Jalen Hurts. Like, no, because no, they have Travis Pacheco Kelsey, right? Pacheco has turned into something pretty good. Yes. Kelsey, obviously, is And they the still have, player. like, a they don't have a great Juju room of receivers, is, but they have very yeah. solid receivers all oh, around yeah. the board, right? Yeah. So, skill players, it's probably about even. Offensive well, line. I mean, the edge definitely, I think, goes to Philadelphia. But it's not, yeah. like, it's you're right. The gap is not huge. Offensive line, definitely Philadelphia, because, again, they might have the best in the league. The Chiefs are very good in certain regards and at certain positions, but they also have struggles in certain ways. Like, they're more of like a fringe top 10 unit as an offensive line. The Eagles have the best, so you're looking at that being better. Defensively, Chiefs are like just like league average. They're like in the middle of the pack, right? Yeah. Eagles have top five or top 10. So if you, if you put Derek Carr on the Chiefs, I feel like the <laughs> impact goes a lot more in a I negative mean, arrow the Derek than it does Carr with the Eagles. Led Chiefs win... 10 games? Not right now. No, they wouldn't. I, I mean, maybe for the season. I, I think I trust Andy Reid with Derek Carr the to win would 10 they, games. Would they win 10 games in a whole I season? I think they would. Um, do you think they could go 10 and 7? Because Derek Carr seems like on that same tier as Alex Smith to me. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. Alex Smith, I think, was a lot better at protecting the ball. Yeah. I, I think it's comparable, though, in terms of like... But I. But the point is, are they 10 and 3 right now? No, they're probably no. like 8 and 5. You know, maybe 7 and 6. Whereas the Eagles, if they have Derek Carr, they're probably still like ten and three. So, I, I think that should matter. That would be really sad if Derek Carr played for the Chiefs. <laughs> yes, that would what? be. Just an alternate it universe. Sad. It would. It would make me sad. Like, yeah, think about that. There, there is a reality where I have to suffer through Derek Carr as my quarterback. That's yeah, terrible. It is out there. And I remember for the longest time, it was like, the Raiders used a second-round pick on him. The Chiefs should have taken him. Now it's like, well, thank goodness. Um, and that goes in the long line of, like, remember when the, the Chiefs were, like, linked to have interest in a Paxton Lynch? Yep. If they would have got I him, they would have never traded up, probably, to draft Patrick Mahomes because that was, like, the year or two after. Like, they're probably yep. not giving up on him that, that soon. That That's another uh, alternate universe where the Chiefs get Patrick Mahomes and then, I don't know, like the Saints have Patrick, or or the Chiefs get Paxton Lynch and, like, the Saints have Patrick Mahomes. (laughs) 
Now, as far as like the remaining schedule for these teams, because that does matter with the opportunity to play primetime games, to play big opponents, and to have those big games against big opponents and kind of earn that narrative game toward the end of the season. Eagles play the Bears this week. So on one hand, that's an opportunity to put up huge stats because the Bears' defense stinks, but also it's not a primetime game. They do have the Dallas game on Christmas Eve at 325. If Jalen Hurts goes off in that game, that could wrap it up. But Cowboys have a good defense. If the yep. Cow- the Cowboys could do the opposite well, to his the MVP Eagles kind of blow him out in their first game though. Um it was like a close-ish game that was like a one-score game and then the Eagles scored late to make it like a two-score win if I'm remembering right. But Cooper Rush was also the quarterback. Oh yeah. If the Cowboys win that game and Hurts has like a bad game, it could do the negative. And then they have the Saints and the Giants to finish up. The Chiefs meanwhile obviously have the very easy schedule toward the end of the year. But they're going to have opportunities hey man, in prime They've got time. the juggernaut that is the Seattle Seahawks coming up. That's on New Year's Eve, just like the Cowboys. But or there's Christmas a rumor Eve, right? that they might flex that one. So we'll see on that. Wait, flex which one? The Chiefs Seahawks. What's it scheduled for right now? Uh, noon on December oh, 24th. They're going to flex it to like primetime? I don't know if it'd be primetime or to the 25th. Um, oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, that... So, so, yeah, I guess we'll technically, since the Chiefs and then got Broncos, flexed Raiders. out of prime time, wouldn't they be first in line to get flexed back in? I don't think that's how it works. That's not how it works? I don't think they're like, hey, we owe you one, you know? <laughs> you don't think Roger Goodell's like, oh, yeah, we got you, boys, don't worry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, flex to the late game is, is the rumor, I guess, going around. So we'll see if that happens. But that that kind of what it tells me is that Christmas Eve day, could end up being like the determining narrative factor because both teams, Cowboys and Chiefs, yeah. would be on, you know, it's like a standalone game on Saturday, December 24th, and they would both be against good opponents. It'd be an opportunity to gain or an opportunity to lose. So we'll see. Yeah. He, uh, for my wallet's sake, I hope Mahomes wins it. Eight to one odds. That's all I'm going to say. Mahomes. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to get to our... Bowl games of KU football past coming up in our next segment with the 1973 Liberty Bowl. This is RCST. Welcome back into RCST with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Coming up in about 15 minutes from right now, we're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports to talk a little KU basketball and college hoops. Also, maybe some Mike Leach stories with Kevin. All right, we got to continue on with our uh, bowl games of KU football the past. of Christmas KU bowl Ooh. games past. 1973 Liberty Bowl, almost 50 years to the date. Kansas now returning. I know that bowl. I think this was the fourth bowl that KU had ever been in. So after the 1969 Orange Bowl, which was the one that we did on yesterday's show, Kansas struggled immediately after. They went 1-9 and the following season. Then they went five and six, and then they had a new coach come in after Pepper Rogers left for UCLA. Don Fambro entered. He went four and seven, four and seven in his first two seasons, and now he was entering year three. This was the first of his two stints as Kansas head coach. And they began the year with 29 to 8, 28 nothing, and 34 to 19 non conference victories against Washington State, at Florida State, and Minnesota respectively. Okay, you know what this tells me from also doing these games? What? That these teams used to play a lot tougher non-conference schedules. Yeah. A lot more against, like, Power I mean, 5 yeah, opponents. Actual Power 5 teams. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, 
Wait, you played everyone's, Washington State, Florida State, Minnesota in your non-con? What are you yeah, doing? Everyone's you know, too get scared. Get an easy win. Yeah, everyone's too scared. Well, and I think it's even crazier, too, when you think about it from the standpoint of, like, you didn't have the 6-6 six and six bowl game to lean back on. You had to be, like, one of the top two in your conference to make a bowl. But I guess it was more based on conference standings, so maybe there was more reason to yeah. just go out and, and schedule whatever. you know, there were probably less number of teams than, you know, there probably wasn't as many. Yeah. There probably wasn't that many Sun Belt teams that you could schedule. So at that point, they're 3-0. Then they travel to Knoxville, and they lose a close game to ninth-ranked Tennessee, 28-27. to And that was a game that David Jaynes, the Kansas quarterback, really emerged himself as being one of the premier quarterbacks in the country. He went 35-58. of 58. Which I mean, at the time Dude, to throw fifty-eight, 58 passes, passes, right? Oh my gosh! He had three hundred ninety-four passing yards. They ended up losing the game twenty-eight to twenty-seven, but it was not for a valiant effort. And uh, that was a really good Tennessee team, obviously, who was ranked ninth in the country. So he kind of merges there, but they lose the game. Get this, and this is going to be a trend all throughout this season. This yeah. is the the most bonkers rankings ever imaginable. So. Kansas was unranked. They were 3-0 and headed into the Tennessee game. They lose, and they move up from unranked to ranked 19th, which actually I can respect because it's yeah. like you played a team really played close, team. right? Yep. And you were 3-0 coming into it. Yep. That proved how good you are. But it's just funny because we never see that. Not only to, not, to go from being unranked to ranked, but to be in the top 20. Like KU women's yeah. basketball just beat the number 12 team in the country by over 20 they points, and they 22. only went to 22. Yeah. And they're behind the team who – anyway – then they beat Kansas State, 25-18. to 18. That sucks, Kansas State. Then they had their second loss, but it was another tight loss. Number 11, Nebraska, 10-9 to nine on the road. And so, again, this is time number two. Kansas was number 18, headed into the Nebraska game. They lose, and they move up to number 17. So that's now twice that go. they have moved up in the season after losing a game. After that, they downed Iowa State 22-20 to to move to 5-2. and But get this. Kansas goes from ranked 17th to beating Iowa State on the road. Not a great Iowa State team. They ended up 4-7 yeah, that how year. How bad was Iowa State? They were 4-7 and seven that year. Okay. So not great, but not you know the worst team in the world. Kansas went from being ranked 17th after a road win over a conference foe to unranked. What? So they're yeah, moving some BS. They're moving up after losses. They're moving down after wins. Up is down. Left yeah, is what right. The, what? <laughs> I'm what as confused as you are. And then this is this is unbelievable. Then they tied Oklahoma State ten to ten. Okay. And they went from unranked to 18th. What? Well, how good was Oklahoma State? That's a good question. I don't know how good they were that oh, okay. Year. Sorry, I'm, I'm peppering you with questions that you may not have the answers to. No, you're fine. Uh, they went 5-4-2 and two that year. <laughs> so, again, like, fine. They tied twice? <laughs> yeah. Man. So, I mean... Oh, okay. You got, let Hold me on. recap here. This is man, you you move not... up twice after losses. You move to be unranked after a win. Then you move back to being ranked after a tie. Okay, you may not know the answer to this, but at what point was the overtime that we know today instituted in college football? I don't know. We're getting ties, and it's 1973. So when did we get overtime? Um. Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. 
Because, like, I guess if they, if in my mind, when you say they tied. This like, is 1996. They, like, they played 60 minutes and they were tied. Yeah, there was no overtime. No overtime. Game just ended. Yeah, so the first uh, overtime game was 1976 in the D3 playoffs. But uh, the first D1 overtime was 1996 is when the rule wow. passed. That's a lot later than I would have thought. So, anyway, at this point, you are 5-2-1. and one. You're ranked 18th. You beat Colorado 17-15, to a close one. Then you lose to a really good Oklahoma team, third-ranked team in the country, 48-20. to So you're sitting at 6-3-1, and solid season. And then you have to play 19th-ranked Missouri to round out the regular season. You eke out a win 14-13. to That sucks, Missouri. So you finish the regular season, 7-3-1. and You're 4-2-1 in Big 8 action. Puts you in a tie for second in the league. Team stats were very odd. For a team that went 7-3-1, and one, they were 59th in points per game, 21 points per game. They were 51st in points allowed per game at 18. They had just 98 rushing yards per game on wow. 2.5 yards per carry, and they gave up that's, 192 rushing yards per game. Dude, that's, I mean, for the era that they were in, that's crazy. It is. It's just because they had David James, who was... I mean, 2.5 yards per carry, that's... Yeah. That is tough. James was just ahead of his time. He was a Heisman finalist. I mean, dude, you could probably pull some random guy off the campus at KU, and he could average two and a half yards per carry, right? <laughs> no. What do you mean, no? Are you serious? <laughs> yes. In 1973, I could average two and a half okay. yards per carry. And James is the only KU Heisman finalist at this point. He finished fourth that year, had over 2,300 passing yards, 14 passing touchdowns, four more rushing scores. He set <laughs> six conference passing records. He was named the Big 8 Offensive Player of the Year. He also had Emmett Edwards, over 800 receiving yards. Delvin Williams had over 700 rushing yards. Williams ended up being a second-round pick. And how about this? That KU team had four players who were not just drafted into the NFL, but taken in the top three rounds of the draft. Williams went in the second round. Don Goody, linebacker, went with the 15th overall pick in the first round to the Chargers. Mitch Sutton, a defense tackle, went in the third round. And then Janes ended up being a third-round pick for the Kansas City Chiefs. Dude, I'm really confident that if we teleported you back to 1973 like you, you could average two and a half yards per carry. I don't think I could. What do you mean? You just fall forward. First of all, you're 6'5". There's five, people hitting you. There's people running at you. This isn't just, you know, I don't just have a straight line. I'm not doing long jump. Um, so yeah. Kansas plays NC State in the Liberty Bowl. That's what they get selected to. Kansas came in ranked 19th. NC State came in ranked 16th. NC State went 7-3. and They went 6-0 and in ACC play. Kansas was actually missing a chunk of players due to injury. Um, and the game was played pretty early, December 17th in Memphis. That is early. So they were trailing 7 nothing. James hits Robert Miller for a 12-yard score to open up the second. And the game eventually is tied 10-10 at half. And then things turned... For Kansas, this is directly from the uh, Wikipedia page on the game. With the game tied, or with the game a ten to ten tie early in the third quarter, Kansas's Bruce Adams called for a fair catch on a punt, but in the midst of heavy traffic, he fell down on the field with the ball bouncing off of him. NC State recovered the ball deep in Kansas territory. Adams' argument that he was tripped were ignored by the referees television replay appeared to show that he indeed had been tripped man so that's uh, so now we're i mean all these bowl games of kansas passed riddled with yes. controversy that's screwing yes. over kansas so then two plays later nc state scores 
And then they get another touchdown four minutes later, and then they get a pick six less than a minute after that. So just absolute avalanche. In a five-minute span, Kansas goes from getting screwed in a tie game to being down 31-10. to They wind up losing 31-18. to And here is the kicker to the season. Kansas, after coming into the game ranked 19th, loses, and they move up to 18th, (laughs) finishing (laughs) off the theme of a weird ranking season. And now they're back in the Liberty Bowl for the first time. That is bizarre. So hopefully not screwed uh, the same way they were there. He's Nick Springer. We're about to be 1-1 in the Liberty Bowl there. (laughs) I'm Derek Johnson. Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports going to join us next on the other side. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson here. And that time on a Tuesday, joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports and CBS Sports. Uh, Kevin, before we get into some college basketball talk, uh, the sad news from earlier with Mike Leach passing away, and we were talking about it earlier in the show, just somebody who you know brought character and life to the, to the sporting world, which sometimes gets a little too cliche in coach speak and everything. And it was so refreshing to, to kind of have that personality in there. Do you, do you have a favorite or, or a couple favorite Mike Leach stories? Gosh, we could be on this whole segment probably <laughs> about Mike Leach. I mean, with all the the great stories and everything out there, I I did crack up. I heard him do an interview one time with the, I think it was the Texas radio station, and they were talking to him, and he was interviewing. He goes, "Hey guys, can you hold on?" He goes, "Yeah, I'd like to order a double quarter pounder and a coke." <laughs> it was a live radio interview. And, and it just, you know, that that always kind of kind of sat with me. I don't know that a lot of people realize, you know, a lot of his air raid stuff comes from geometry and triangles and things like that. And so, Chris Brown, who is uh, he wrote the book The Essential Smart Football, you know, talks about being sort of a high school quarterback and going to one of their camps. And Leach is sitting there in the classroom, and he says, all right, who here knows about isosceles triangles or something like that? And, and everybody's kind of looking around like, we we didn't sign up for this. But uh, another thing that, that kind of cracked me up, there are so many great stories. I, I loved it when he did the weather that time. He had always wanted to do the weather, and so they had him on, which was pretty much you know like a six-minute Mike Leach fest. I mean – <laughs> he told people let the forecast called for storms and everything, and he goes, "That's too strong. I'm going to say expect sun." <laughs> and they said, "Go out and enjoy yourself. And if it does turn bad, you know, stay out in it. Don't be a coward." <laughs> but uh, but one of my favorite things, and I don't know if I'm trying to remember the details specifically. So I was down in Texas shortly after. Uh, shortly after Mike Leach had gotten fired at Texas Tech with the Craig James stuff and and all of those different things. And Mike Leach called in, I, I believe it was to Chip Brown's radio show. And, you know, it comes to the infamous closet, right, that, uh, that James was supposedly forced to go into. And Chip is, is kind of asking him about it, and, and Leach is being Leach, and Leach goes, well, heck, Chip, like, you've been in there before. And, and Chip goes, excuse me? <laughs> and Mike Leach is like, oh, yeah, that's where we stick the visiting media after every game. That was the, the little equipment shed or, 
or whatever. <laughs> and so it, and so it was, it was just fantastic. Like he was just like, oh yeah, you guys have been in there. You know what it's like. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean there, there, there really are way too many. And, and you know, I. I started doing this at the University Daily Kansas, you know, circa 2002 or 2003, and Leach was had been the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma and was breaking in at Texas Tech, and you know, as head coach, and it was apparent pretty quickly that he was very different from from everybody else. And so, I mean, you guys have been to Big 12 media days, you know what it's like. You're running around trying to get one on ones with the coaches that you cover even when they're not at the podium and you're trying to get interviews and things like that, you're rushing around. But one of the things that I'll remember, even as a, as a young reporter is when Mike Leach went up to the podium, everybody stopped trying to do whatever their actual job was for that day and made sure they were in the ballroom because they were pretty sure that he was going to say something hysterical. Yep. That was, uh, that'll certainly be missed with, uh, Mike Leach. Shoot. I remember him just, uh, you know, it, if you watch Friday Night Lights, he appears in that. And, uh, you know, just a little bit of everything from from Coach Leach. Um, well, well, you you saw the you saw the wrong number story, right, from Lincoln Riley? Uh, yeah, I saw it, that one. Is yeah. it the wrong yeah, numbers? That, so Mike yeah, Leach that, answers so a call that, that, and he talks to some guy for like thirty minutes, and then at one point during the call, they get, they fall, the call drops, and Mike Leach calls him back and they talk some more, and then he and then after the phone call, he says. Who was that? And Mike Leach says, oh, it was the guy with the wrong number. <laughs> yeah, he talked to him for like an hour. Yeah. Or somebody, yeah. and he started off the call like, oh, where are you calling from? Okay. <laughs> and, you know, just talked to this random person for an entire hour. And then Lincoln Riley had been in the office, was trying to get his work done. And he goes, oh, who is that? And he goes, do they had a wrong number? <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, so many great ones. I, I'm sure somebody's going to come out with like an article soon that that kind of details a bunch of the different ones, and uh, I'll be looking for that. I have to recommend. I know that it's not my network or anything. The athletic article on Mike Leach that they wrote, where it was an oral history of the quarterbacks who played under him at Washington State, it is just absolute like must read Mike Leach stuff. It's it's amazing. They just basically talk to all of his Washington State quarterbacks and say, okay, what were quarterback meetings like with Mike Leach? And it's something that uh, it's one of my favorite pieces I think I've ever read. It's just hysterical. Well, definitely have to check that out. And, uh, yeah, um, again, rest in peace for, for Mike Leach, uh, kind of pioneer in the coaching game and, and certainly somebody who, uh, you know, provided a different flavor to the game, so to speak. Uh, we're talking with Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 sports here, switching over to some college basketball stuff. Kansas dominated Missouri on Saturday, and now real tough test coming up on Saturday with Indiana, who's ranked 14th in the AP poll this week. How much trouble do you envision Trace Jackson Davis giving KU, or could KJ Adams or Jalen Wilson be a good matchup for him? You know, it's, it's funny because I think when you look at a schedule, you circle certain games and you say, this is a game that could be a flashpoint game toward Kansas either reaching its potential, being a legitimate national title contender, potentially winning a national title and not. And I know some people are going to say, well, gosh, like it's, it's a December game. What, what can it say about that? And 
I'm not even saying, hey, Kansas has to win this to be a national contender. What I am saying is I think answering your question either affirmatively or negatively is going to tell a lot on where Kansas goes from here because you have K.J. Adams coming off the best game of his Kansas career against Missouri, albeit a Missouri team that didn't have a lot of size. And even beyond that, I think we can admit that their defensive rotations were maybe a little bit lacking uh, on Saturday. All of a sudden, you're going up against one of the best big men in the country and somebody who's probably going to be in the NBA for 10 years. And it's a situation that not everybody has a Trace Jackson Davis, but generally over the course of six NCAA tournament games, you're going to come up with a big man who's going to give you some sort of trouble. And if if K.J. Adams can hold up in this game, if he can do his job, get help from Jalen Wilson, and they can play him well, I think that that speaks a lot for, hey, maybe maybe Kansas can make this thing work without an elite big man or, or without a true, you know, quote-unquote five-man. I think if Trace Jackson, you know, just runs rough shot over Kansas, if he has a, a 30 and 15 and he's proven that he's capable of doing that, I think it's the sort of thing that potentially inspires Bill Self to say, you know what, like KJ is is great for us in certain situations. He helps us with these things, but we really need to start sliding some minutes Ernest Uday's way or you know, make some changes to where, hey, when we see Oscar Shibway here in a month or two, this is this is going to be how we're going to deal with that challenge, and then into March, how you're going to deal with that. And so I think, like I said, it's not necessarily whether or not Kansas wins this game that's, that's the most important part, but I think that how Kansas defends Trace Jackson Davis, if they're able to do it, with the five that they currently have, that's a terrific step in the right direction where you say, okay, maybe this thing can work. And if not, maybe it's back to the drawing board a little bit and you start to see Kansas potentially trying some new things before the start of conference season. Yeah, I mean, kind of to your point, what are the odds really that KU could make a deep tournament run without having to face a team that has you know, a solid five-man that they would have to deal with, right? So, well, I mean, what are the odds that that could happen? So they, they know that you're going to have to probably deal with that at some point, right? Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely going to deal with that. And actually, I have an article coming on that a little bit. I talked with Bill Self at Big 12 Media Days, and we were talking about basically how NIL has offered the opportunity for the Drew Timmies and Oscar Sheboys of the world to come back to college basketball where they are extremely valuable versus going to the NBA where maybe they aren't at this point. Maybe they aren't as coveted because they don't fit sort of that NBA big man stereotype. And one of the things that that Self had said was he goes, you look at the last several national champions, it's not necessarily that they all had a dominant center, but they all had effective standing height, I believe was the way that he put it. And you look at David McCormick's tournament that he had, you know, obviously Armando Baycott played a huge role in North Carolina getting to that point. Baylor was a little bit the exception of the rule. The reason that Gonzaga was in that game in the first place was Drew Timmy was just, you know, nails that entire tournament. Then you look at, you know, Virginia and Texas Tech and having some effective shot blockers and things like that. You're going to face somebody. You aren't necessarily going to face a guy like Trace Jackson Davis or an All-America candidate. 
But you're going to face a big man that's going to give you trouble if you can't match up at that position. And so I do think that it's important that they figure out how to answer that question, whether it's, hey, we can do it with the guys that we're currently trotting out there, or, hey, we need to start making some alternate plans. And I think one of the things that Bill Self has shown that he does really well is an ability to to adjust in the middle of the season to kind of say, hey, this this thing isn't working. You know, you look at the the deal with Sheck Diallo and he gets the start and they get blown out against Oklahoma State. He has the conversation with the guys and then Landon Lucas winds up being your starting big man. And, and Landon wasn't, you know, a dominant guy, but he was kind of what they needed, right? Like he was a guy that could set screens, could defend, you know, smart positionally and do things like that. And so, it may be that self sort of reframes the the question or the answer depending on how things go on Saturday. Outside of the Trace Jackson Davis matchup, what is KU's biggest avenue to trying to take down Indiana? Yeah, I think you know one of the things is is Indiana is a pretty good defensive team. I think you know it, it's kind of where things start for them, and so when things don't go well defensively for them that can be where they get out of source a little bit. And when you look at the way that Kansas has just shot the lights out at Allen Fieldhouse this year, it's what, like 43% from three, I think, at home this year. You know, when you look at that, you know, that's kind of an avenue. The fact that Indiana with Jalen Hood, Shafino, you know, being out, they haven't had sort of that secondary playmaker that maybe they need. And so the the offense has been a little bit clunkier. And, And I think... You know, Xavier Johnson is one of those big X factors in that he's somebody that when he gets hot, he can really turn games because he can score eight points in a couple minutes and kind of affect the way that a game goes. And when you look at him being matched up with DeWan Harris, obviously you like DeWan's defense in that matchup. The flip side of that is, does DeWan avoid foul trouble? Because I think we've seen with this Kansas team – it's a team that is so much better when Dewan Harris is on the floor offensively and defensively. And so I think that's going to be something to watch too, is if Xavier Johnson is able to put some fouls on Dewan Harris, you know, how do Bobby Pettiford and the other guys respond? I think that'll be something to watch too. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24 seven sports, CBS sports here and uh, moving around the country in college basketball Certainly a big shakeup to what the top of the AP poll looks like when you compare it to maybe what we thought before the season or just in terms of like historical basketball powers. Not that, you know, like teams like Purdue and Virginia haven't been good in seasons past, but you're used to seeing Blue Bloods or I don't know, like Arizona's and, and schools like that up there, or even at this point, Baylor. And right now, the top five you have Purdue, Virginia, Yukon, Alabama, and Houston who was the uh, number one team as of last week. As far as the top four goes, with Purdue, Virginia, UConn, and Alabama, which of those maybe surprise early top four teams right now do you think has the best chance of of winning it all this year? Ooh, that's tough. Because I I really like – one of the things is I don't think this is a particularly dominant defensive team for Virginia, which has kind of been – their calling card, but the thing that they do so well, Derek, is they execute in clutch situations extremely well. They returned all five starters from last year. 
They brought in Ben Vanderplas from Ohio, who was kind of a hand-in-glove transfer fit, you know, to be their sixth man. And when you look at the way that they execute in the final four or five minutes of a close game, that experience and, you know, the fact that they've played together for so long, it, it really does show. I think Purdue is, is kind of a fluky matchup for a lot of people. I, I don't, don't get me wrong. I think Purdue is good. But I think that the main thing that people look at there is, you know, who has a matchup for, for Zach Eady? I mean, you don't, you don't go out when you're recruiting and say, my gosh, we got to slow this seven foot four, 290 pound guy down. And, and so I, I think, you know, Purdue's got a little bit of that outlier team there. I do think there's a chance perhaps that they could run into the wrong kind of team in the NCAA tournament. We've seen it with Big Ten teams in particular the last couple of years. They haven't been as great defending ball screens in space, and I think that that's been a pretty big issue. I, I think that UConn is probably the scariest team for me to try to project because I think UConn's ceiling is above those other teams. But I also think that UConn is a group, and they haven't had it happen yet, but I think that UConn is a group that maybe its C game might not be quite as good as some of the other guys. And so you, they're going to match up really well with a lot of people because of Adama Sinogo. They're really long, really athletic. They play hard. You know, in a lot of ways, and I'm not saying they're as good, but in a lot of ways, they do remind you a little bit of sort of that 2019-2020 Kansas team in terms of, you know, being that defensive team that that really gets after you with length and defense and having a dominant big man. I, I think that they're probably, like I said, they're, they're a team that could get hot for six games and could not just win the tournament, but win each of their tournament games by double-digit points. I, I think that they have a chance to be that good. The question is, okay, on a night when when shots aren't happening, aren't falling, when Sonogo gets into foul trouble, what are they going to do then? What's the what's sort of the next gear that they can hit when when they get stuck in the mud? And I'm not sure that they have that quite to the extent that Virginia has. And so I'd probably say at this point, it would probably be UConn, but I do think that Virginia is right there. Is there a team outside of the top 10 right now that you're most bullish on that by the time, you know, we get to March or something, they're going to be thought of as one of those maybe top tier title contenders? Yeah, I think, uh, I think that Arkansas is like the most intriguing team in the country, perhaps. I mean, you're, you're so long and so athletic, and it stinks so much that, that Trevon Brazil got hurt because I, I think that he he was kind of the guy that, that gave them a lot of things that made them difficult to match up with. But they're so young, and they've got so many newcomers, which is usually a recipe for disaster. But Eric Musselman used to coach in the G League, and so he would have guys – for two games and then they'd have to go back to the pros or he would spend a first round draft pick in the G league on somebody expecting, Hey, this guy is going to be a big part of our team. And you know, their contract would get picked up. And so there aren't a whole lot of coaches who are used to coaching teams with as many moving parts, I guess, as Eric Musselman is with that amount of talent that he has, 
on that roster. I, I think he's right there. The other thing, you know, you have to look at North Carolina looks a lot more like the North Carolina it was for three quarters of last season. And I think a lot of us are wondering, hey, is there going to be a moment where, you know, the the Henry Tease moment, right? <laughs> Where, where the, the team gets together, they figure it all out, and they wind up looking a lot like the team in last year's NCAA tournament. I feel like you can't discard them at this point, and I, I think they bear mentioning on a team that's that's not ranked highly that could potentially do something, and yet at the same time, I, they look pretty far from, from what everybody thought they would be this year. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all his work, 24-7 Sports, CBS Sports. Kevin, appreciate the time as always, and as always, the uh, barbecue recommendations. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. That's Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Two hours down, one to go. This is RCST.